This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is value. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. for Life with Pastor Christopher Brooks. We're so glad to have you with us on today because we are in our final message broadcasting on WLQV Faith Talk 1500 today and tomorrow. It has truly been an honor and a privilege to partner with this station and we ask that you continue to pray for both organizations as we move ahead in the things the Lord would have us to do. That said, It's by design that we leave you, our faithful listening audience, with a message that is foundational to our mission of equipping Christians to live, share, and defend their faith. A message that will stir your spirit and increase your hunger for the faithful, accurate, and dynamic preaching of the Word of God. Now let's go into the sanctuary of Evangel for the message, the purpose, and power of biblical preaching. How many came today ready to have their lives changed by the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God? I said, how many came to have their lives changed by the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God? Just as we get excited in worship, we must get excited in the Word of God. I'm telling you, the Word of God is the most precious gift He has given us. The Word in its written and the Word in its living form. The Son, Jesus Christ, the King of glory. Amen. Today, I want to convince you of the critical role that biblical preaching must play in revival. The critical role that biblical preaching must play in the transformation of this city and region. So I'm going to preach for a little bit today. I'm going to preach on the topic of preaching. So Romans chapter 10 verses 13 through 16 is where we'll start. After that, we're going to land in 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 20 through 23. So you can put your fingers in both places, but we'll start in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How many thank God for that promise? 
didn't make it complicated. What a beautiful simplicity that if we can surrender our lives to him. But that is a deep and profound thing. It's not a cheap thing. It's not just us calling on him like we do in SOS or phone a friend. But it's us surrendering our lives to him as we are broken and brought to a humility that brings a revelation that God, without you, I'm nothing. And I cannot live without you. But it goes on in verse number 14. They say, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? Notice the progression there. How can they believe if they haven't heard? How can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Going on to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll start at verse number 18. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18, for the word of the cross. Now, some of you, if you have the King James Version, will see the preaching of the cross. Some of you, if you have the NIV, will probably see the message of the cross. The word that's used here in the Greek is logos, which is, which is uh, the, the word for word or idea or concept. But in this context, it's the proclamation of that idea or concept. So he says here that the preaching of the cross, the proclamation of the message or the word of the cross is folly. Very interesting choice of words the apostle uses. It is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, so part of where you, how you can measure where you're at in relation to God is how you view pe- preaching. It, it, it is folly or, or valueless to those who are, being, who are perishing. But it has ultimate and supreme value. You have a respect for biblical preaching. You have a hunger for biblical preaching. You have an appetite and a craving for biblical preaching if you are being saved because you know it's the power of God. That it was the message of the cross that saves me, brings me into justification, that sanctifies me, and that will also bring me into glorification. When you really are saved, you begin to honor, crave, respect biblical preaching he goes on to say I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will throw where is the one who is wise where is the scribe where is the debater of this age has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom what a word play God was wise enough to make sure that we could know him through wisdom That reasoning alone, that wisdom alone, that earthly education and intellect alone was not enough for us to get to know God. That we could not get to know him without him. That we need him even to know him. No one can come unto me unless he be drawn by the Father. We need God to save us. We can't save ourselves. No matter how smart, innovative, creative technologically savvy we will never create a program that can save a man's soul we will never be able to figure out a medication that can heal man of his sin sickness it takes an almighty sovereign God to save us that's the message of the gospel it's the message of grace it pleased God through the folly that word again of what we preach everybody say preach to save those who believe For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. We're going to come back to that one. But we preach Christ. 
crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, again, called, being saved, synonymous with one another, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man. How many thank God for that? And the weakness of God is stronger than man. Now, as a church, we've been crying out for revival for some time now. We've been crying out that God would send revival to our city, that God would send revival to our region, and that God would send revival throughout our nation. And the reason why we cry out to God is because God owns revival. God owns the turning back of his people, that we can't manufacture revival. The church has to figure that out. Yes, we desperately want it, but we cannot manufacture it. We can cry out, but but it takes uh, the voice of God. It takes God commanding his people saying, come back to me now. God chooses when we're in the seasons of judgment, up under his judgment, and God chooses when he's going to send mercy and grace and bring us back to him. Everybody say, God owns revival. We can't manufacture it. We have to understand this about God. But when God has determined, when he alone has determined that he's going to send a move of his spirit that will awaken the church and that will bring men and women sinners to him in repentance, when he does that, you will know that he does, that he's doing that because he will place that, that, that message of revival in the hearts and the spirit and the mouths of men and women who will be faithful to the promise proclamation of the gospel. You'll know that revival is coming because you will see God raising up ministers who will be faithful to the proclamation and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible nor church history knows any such thing as a revival that is not centered upon biblical preaching. Every generation from the time of Ezra up until now, every generation has come back to God because there was a revival of biblical preaching that the church in that generation rediscovered the beauty of the word of God and was not afraid to proclaim it and was bold enough to believe it and to yield themselves to the authority of the word of God. Somebody say we need biblical preaching. Now God has, uh, and since I was a young man, there's, there's, I'm starting to realize as I get older the things that God was doing in my life when I was younger, but a boy, and that God from an early age gripped my heart for whatever reason for a desire to see a move of God that would transform a nation. That God from an early day, before I could even properly articulate it, gripped my heart for revival. I remember as a young teenager, maybe 13 or 14, reading the writings of Charles Finney. Now, some of you may not know who Charles Finney is, but he's a, a Presbyterian minister who lived during a time of what is known as the Second Great Awakening. Many accredit his preaching and the preacher of his contemporaries as being what led to not only the formation of this nation, but led to the uh, abolition of slavery. The, the, God used the pulpit to transform the nation. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But Charles Finney wrote this book called Lectures on Revival. Now, I don't even remember how I got a book at that 
that age. And I don't remember what drew me to that book, but here's all I can know is that God must have been doing something in my spirit, preparing me for what I believe we're on the verge and the precipice of right now. I believe that God has been stirring in my heart. And as you begin to read through the, the writings of Charles Finney and other revivalists, what you begin to see is that if the, the word of God is not exalted in a generation, then revival will not come. We have to live as ministers under the fear and the authority of the word of God. We must declare it with boldness and humility, but with the power of the spirit. And if we are faithful to do that, God will move. And what I realize now is that God wants to transform our, our city, our region, and our nation. And I want to say that again. God wants to transform it in our time. Now, you're, you're looking at me like you don't understand what I'm saying. So let me say it again. God wants to transform our city, our region, our nation in our time. It is not a far off. It is not a generation away. Praise the name of Jesus. You are living in a glorious time. You are living in a time when God is about to send a wave of revival that I believe will not stop in this city. But God is going to awaken a sleeping church that is on the verge of falling away from him but in his mercy he's bringing back a, an apostate church and he's going to awaken us shake us revive us by the authority and the power of his word and that what will happen in this city and in this region will reverberate throughout this nation i believe that we are standing on the verge of another great awakening and move of the spirit of god You need to pray that God will get that in your heart. Now, uh, I'm going to put forth a couple of what I believe are very fair questions. Now, let me put forth the first one. I think the first question we need to ask ourselves, and some of you may be asking this, if, if you're going to transform a city, a region, or a nation, how do you do that? How do you reach a generation? How do you see revival sweep through a, nation, a generation? Well, if you ask God that question, what God is going to say is this. The way you transform a city is you take a man who was full of his spirit and gripped by his power and you place that man in a pulpit and you give that man a Bible and you let that man preach the gospel, preach that Bible faithfully over a long extended period of time and if he is faithful to preaching the gospel and through the Bible and preaching the word of God over an extended period of time, that city, that nation, that generation will be transformed and turned back to God. Now you're quiet because you don't believe that. We don't believe that in this generation. We don't believe that the centerpiece of a transformation is a godly man with a Bible that he truly believes and isn't afraid to proclaim and declare. We don't believe that if we declare the word of God to those who are in power and in authority, that they will be transformed. We don't believe that if we declare it faithfully over our children, that they won't love the world, but they'll love God. We don't believe that the key to transformation is the faithful preaching of the word of God. But I'm telling you that the Bible or church history knows no such thing as a revival that is not centered upon biblical and prophetic preaching. Now to some, this sounds foolish. And, 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 and this is what Paul was trying to drive home and he understood and anticipated that for many of us, we hear that the key to transforming a city is preaching. Is that what you're trying to say, Pastor? 
Yes, I'm saying, I'm boldly standing in this pulpit and saying that if we are faithful as ministers to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, this city will be changed. And I want to take it a step further and declare in this pulpit that I'm going to preach until you are stirred in your spirit to pray and seek the face of God. That I'm going to faithfully preach this word until you are broken and brought to repentance and cry out, God forgive me. I'm going to preach until we cannot stand it anymore to know that our children, our neighbors, and our co-workers don't know Christ and that if they died, they would go to hell. I'm going to preach until you have some sleepless nights saying God sin revival and I'm going to preach until politicians and businessmen and professors and teachers and young people turn to God and cry out save us because a true transformation starts with the church but it don't stop with the church a true transformation sweeps through government sweeps through business education it sweeps throughout the community I'm going to preach until our neighborhoods are safe again I'm going to preach until marriage is valued again. I'm going to preach until our children love God again. I'm going to preach until men repent again. I'm going to preach until we fall in love with worshiping him again. The only weapon I have is the word of the living God infused by the power of his spirit. But I am convinced that if I faithfully preach it, I am stirred in my spirit because God has gotten a hold of me and it is simple. In his profound wisdom, God gave us a simplistic plan. Folks, the news flash is this. There is no other plan. It is through the foolishness of preaching that God has ordained that a city would be saved. It is through the foolishness. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to preach until you're no longer sitting in your pews, but you get up and get active and go out into the city and declare good news coupled with good deeds and begin to show that not only can the gospel be preached powerfully, but we got powerful weapons of warfare so that we can show the world the present power of the living Christ. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living God who wants to break into darkness with the light of his word. And he uses his servants to do that. Now, if you believe me, then you'll understand this premise that the reason why we must preach is because transformation does not happen from the outside in. But it happens from the inside out. You won't be transformed if all you're doing is putting on makeup and clothes. But if your heart is transformed, if you have a heart transplant, we can't legislate revival. Though we need godly legislation. We can't produce revival or transform a city just through economics. Though that's needed. Thank God for education. It is needed. It's a very important piece of the puzzle. But all of these things must fall under the umbrella of the Spirit of God. They only find their, 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 their place. Uh, the university system, as we know it, means unified diversity. 
So it's a place where you can get diverse teaching. But there's no longer any unity in the university system. What we have is diversity, diverse fields of thought, science, business, technology, all of these things. Because we lost what unified the diversity. Right? What unified the diversity as the monks saw, because it was through the monastic movement that our university system was born, what unified the diversity in the university was the study of God. It was theology as the queen of all sciences that unified unified every other subject so I could study uh, uh, science and astronomy through the eyes and the perspective of God and really produce some things that will lead us forward into God's purpose as a people if I came up under that umbrella. Do you understand that all that we, that we know in science now started with a basic foundation of God is, that he exists. The greatest scientists throughout history have been Christians. That the birthing of this nation and even what we call capitalism started with us understanding the liberty that God has given us and how we can honor him with our resources. And it was he that gave us the power to get wealth so that he might establish his covenant among the people. Do you understand that all of that was birthed from the unity of knowing God but that was back in the days when preachers were not afraid to preach the word of God transformation happens from the inside out amen so what we need to be doing is urgently praying for God to take back his pulpit If you're praying anything in this generation, you need to urgently pray that God will take back his pulpit because I repeat that the Bible nor church history knows of any such thing of a revival or transformation that is not centered upon biblical and prophetic preaching. All revivals begin when a generation rediscovers the word of God. And boldly declares that they believe it and live in fear of him and his exalted word. Now, there have always been substitutes for revival. There has been substitutes for biblical preaching. Many people, and I'm using revival and transformation interchangeably if you haven't noticed that. We've tried to substitute as churches certain things for revival. The world has tried to substitute uh, uh, not for revival, but for biblical preaching, the world has tried to substitute certain things for transformation for biblical, instead of relying on biblical preaching. And Paul notes that and anticipates that in verse 22. Notice what he says in verse 22. He contrasts biblical preaching against two things. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. So the two things that he says are false substitutes for biblical preaching if you're going to see revival and transformation are miracle movements and intellectualism. Now I'm going to offend a lot of people right now in what I'm about to say. Because there's a segment of the body of Christ that says that if God would just send a miracle movement, waves of miracles, then truly revival will start and we will see a transformation. 
Well, not only is that biblically inaccurate, we see plenty of times when there will be great signs in the heavens above and the earth beneath and men still won't repent of their sins. But God has not ordained that miracle movements will be the backbone of revival and of transformation. He's never ordained that. Now, there's other people who say that the key to a transformation is education. That all we have to do is get well-trained in the best practices of the world in the areas of business and marketing and employ those in the church and we will see a revival movement. And so they exalt intellectualism, training, and education. Thank God for that stuff that may be good to fill auditoriums. Both miracle movements and intellectualism can fill auditoriums, but they can never produce true, sustainable revival. Now, let me tell you what Paul is not saying. Paul is is not anti-miracle. As a matter of fact, he flowed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he did. Paul is not anti-intellect because he was a very well-trained philosopher, trained in argumentation, in rhetoric, in reasoning. He was a very intelligent man. Just read Acts chapter 17 and watch how he turns the philosophers of that day inside out in such profound wisdom that they could not find fault in him. So what is Paul saying? If the problem is not miracles and it's not intellect, what is the problem? The problem is exalting these things and using them as a substitute for biblical preaching. And what Paul is saying is that miracles and intellect only find their proper context in the light of biblical preaching. Miracles and intellect only come to strengthen biblical preaching so that true revival and transformation can take place. Does that make sense? We have to stop the message here, but we hope you'll return for the conclusion of the purpose and power of biblical preaching, as well as our final day of broadcasting on Faith Talk 1500. As a reminder, we have rescheduled our listener appreciation reception for Wednesday, July 27th at 6.30 p.m., On the campus of Evangel Ministries, please call 313-836-7732 to register for this free event or email us at info at equippedforlife.tv. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Equip for Life broadcast, which is sponsored by Evangel Ministries and faithful ministry partners like you. If you would like to learn more about our partnership opportunities or get a copy of any of these powerful messages, please go to our website at www.equipforlife.tv. We also invite you to visit us at Evangel for one of our dynamic Sunday worship services at 8 a.m. or 11 a.m. You may contact our church office at 313-836-7732 for more details.